When a woman gave birth to a child, there is a procedure that she went through according to the law of God to regain her purification. This is interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. And I'm Janice. And this program, Bible Discovery TV, we learn the Bible as we go through it. Today we are in Leviticus chapter 12, pertaining to the Levites. This is fascinating. We're going to teach on it in about three minutes. So stay there for the teaching. Right now, Corey and Ryan are going to tell us what they're doing. Corey? So I'm going to be taking a look at some of these purity laws and how they would have factored in into the hygiene of the nation of Israel as it continued on through history. Ryan? Today, I'm examining the life of one of the Bible's most notable heroes of faith and one that we've been reading a lot about, Moses. Very good. Yeah, probably one of the second most important men in the Bible. Okay, uh, what are we doing? Today, I just titled it The Blood of Jesus. All right, this is good. Let's open up our Bibles. Let's learn what God is saying to us. Leviticus 12, 1 through 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification thirty-three days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification sixty-six days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord, and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has borne a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean." Leviticus 12, verses 1 through 8. Leviticus chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. That's what we read today. Now, this, this is fascinating. You see, in the Gospel of Luke, chapters 2, verse 22 to 24, Mary and Joseph arrive in Jerusalem to bring a purification offering after the birth of their son, Jesus Christ. Now, the offering was made in obedience to the laws given to a woman after childbirth in Leviticus chapter 12. The newborn baby was not born impure, but the mother was to be purified from the shedding of blood and bodily fluids and discharges that were all a part of the birthing process. 
The laws given here should not be regarded in any way as negative towards birth or childbearing or a woman. To be impure does not mean to be immoral or to be evil. It was a ceremonial way to recognize and symbolize God's complete holiness compared to our lack of holiness. Now, the law is always pushing this principle about who makes his people holy to ensure Israel remembers it is God who makes them holy, not they themselves. How amazing is it, then, to see the ultimate offering and shedding of Jesus Christ's own blood to fully cleanse and make atonement for sin once and for all, to make all who believe unto Christ holy. Now, this is absolutely stunning and amazing. Now, take your Bible guide, last day of January. Take your Bible guide. If you don't have one, why not? Call us or write to us and get your Bible guide. We'll send it to you. Or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a page where you can download the PDF file. Looks just exactly like we printed it. Very good. And uh, you can get yours and read the most important book of all, the Bible. Now, the Bible comes, this is on iPad. You can get it on your phone or whatever. But this is the Word of God, the Bible. This is what God speaks to us, the Holy Spirit's words. So keep that in mind. Today, we talk about the Christmas offering. Funny, eh? We've already been through Christmas, yet I'm talking about the Christmas offering because, listen carefully, this is exactly what happened. Okay. Father, I pray today that we would hear you as we explore Leviticus chapter 12. This is going to be interesting. As we hear about the offerings in the name of Jesus Christ, and we all said together, Amen. With that in mind, we go to Leviticus chapter 12, and here is what the Bible says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch anything hallowed or any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. Now, this is amazing because if a woman gave birth to a male child, she is required 33 days to complete her purification. Keep that in mind. Now, Jesus Christ has made a way for us to approach a holy God. Did you get that? Jesus Christ fulfilled that. Jesus Christ has done that. So when we come to Jesus Christ and we say, Lord, I want to receive you as Lord of my life, his Holy Spirit comes in and makes us holy before God. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see all the works we've done, but he sees the works that Jesus has done. Isn't that amazing? That's how it works. So here in this particular passage, we see the offering for bearing a son. Now let's go further because the offering for bearing a girl. Leviticus chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 say, But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue 
in the blood of her purification 66 days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest, here it is, a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Fascinating. If a woman gave birth to a female child, she required 66 days to complete her purification. Fascinating. Now, there are two genders according to the Bible. They are both different and complementary, not competitive. Complementary. Did you get that? Because we're, we're all into the competitive thing. No, no. The two genders are complementary. The two male and female are complementary to each other. We need to keep that in our heart and keep that in our mind. Now, that's the one point. The other point we need to understand is God has put in place these things to, to give us direction as to our flesh. Very important. All right, let's go to the last part of scripture because this is really gets interesting now as we go back into the law. We're going into Leviticus chapter 12. Verse 7, watch this. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from her flow of blood. Okay, that's interesting. This is a law for her who has born a male or female. Now, verse 8 is fascinating. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves, or two pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. Fascinating. God's grace made concession for those who were poor. You see, there's a reason that Jesus Christ was not born into a rich family. The Lord saw the willing spirit of the giver first and not the value of the gift. Oh, beloved, listen carefully. The value according to God for our souls has nothing to do with wealth. Absolutely. There is nothing we can give to God. Our value is dependent upon our wills. It depended upon how much we allow God to work in our life. If we allow God to continue his work in our life, then we are valuable to him. If all we care about is following God and doing the right thing, then our value increases. And let me tell you, Joseph and Mary did not have the money to offer the big offerings. They did not. So they offered the regular offerings, the common offerings. And let me tell you something. Jesus Christ was made 30 years a man, and then three years of living, ministering to us. And then finally, he was crucified by the religious people, the religious people. And at the end of that, on the third day, he rose from the dead. A miracle from God rose in the flesh. Amazing. Let's keep that in mind because the Lord is saying something to us right now. Come to Jesus. He's waiting for you.
Welcome back to the program. As we continue through our study of the Torah, which is the first five books of Moses, I wanted to stop and actually examine the life of Moses himself. Though he was initially born as a slave in Egypt, he would later deliver the Hebrews from that bondage and bring them all the way to their promised land. He was born during Israel's 400 years of slavery in Egypt. In fact, it would be he who would lead them out from under this terrible bondage and into their promised land. When his mother Jochebed bore him, the Egyptian officials were under strict orders from Pharaoh to drown all male Hebrew newborns in the Nile, an attempt to control the ever-growing Jewish populace. Though his mother successfully hid him for the first three months, she could do so no longer. So she put him in a reed basket daubed in pitch and placed him in the Nile. But God was watching over this child. Indeed, at this time, the daughter of Pharaoh had come out to the river to bathe. When she discovers the Hebrew child, she has compassion on him, and at the suggestion of the boy's sister, Miriam, who has been secretly watching all along, she hires the boy's mother to nurse him. The Egyptian princess then adopts the child as her own and calls him Moses, because she drew him out of the water. While the Bible does not say much about the first 40 years of Moses' life while he was in Egypt, Acts 17.22 does reveal that he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. The Bible also records the event that led to his next 40 years. Indeed, upon witnessing an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. But when he is discovered, he flees from Pharaoh to the land of Midian. It was here, while sitting at a well, that he saved the seven daughters of Jethro the priest from harassment and drew water for their flock. For this, Jethro takes Moses in and even gives him his daughter Zipporah as a wife, who would later bear him two sons, Gershom and Eleazar. For the next 40 years, Moses would shepherd flocks. However, at 80 years of age, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. The time had finally come to break the bonds of slavery off of the Israelites. So God commissions Moses to confront Pharaoh and free his people, and designates his brother Aaron to be Moses' mouthpiece. Through a long and grueling series of ten plagues, God finally breaks the hard heart of Pharaoh, just but for a moment. With this brief opportunity at hand, Moses escapes with the Hebrews, but Pharaoh and his army soon take pursuit. So, in a tremendous display of power, God brings his people across the Red Sea on dry ground. But when the Egyptians attempt to follow, God brings back the waters upon their heads and drowns them all. For the last 40 years of his life, Moses was the intermediary between God and the people. He also received the law of God on Mount Sinai and built a tabernacle according to God's instruction. Though he faithfully led the people to the Promised Land, he died before entering it at the age of 120. Now, though he was reluctant and was frequently frustrated with the people, Moses was a man of tremendous faith. He was a great leader and his relationship with God was very, very unique. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he spoke to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. That's amazing. We can all learn from the example of Moses. He was very passionate and very committed to God. And we should be thankful for his obedience to God because he would be used of the Lord to pen the first five books of the Bible and possibly others as well. So let's take it from Moses. Maybe like him, we think that we're not very well-spoken or not the right person for the job. But if God has chosen you for a task, then go forward with it and trust in the Lord because it's all about the building up of his kingdom. 
not ours. Yeah, it's a very interesting study because you talk about Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and you look at the man Moses and you look at, you know, he was glowing, so he had to wear something mm -hmm. over his head, a veil, and uh, because he spoke with God face to face yeah. as a friend. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, it really is. I mean, it truly is incredible. So that's something else. Okay, very good. Corey? All right. Well, because we're in the, the part of Leviticus that talks about ritual, purity, and impurity, and different bodily functions, and hygiene, and all of that, I wanted to take a look at how hygiene in ancient Israel kind of played out as they grew as a nation and settled in at Canaan in the Promised Land. Because it's a little bit surprising, but archaeology actually can weigh in on this topic a little bit. Take a look. One of the weaknesses in the material archaeology of the biblical world is in recreating the day-to-day -day lives of the people. Some daily articles made of more perishable materials do not survive in abundance, and without a written explanation of everyday life, it can be difficult to know with certainty how some objects, spaces, and life issues were dealt with. One of the weak spots in our knowledge is how ancient Israelites dealt with issues of hygiene and sanitation. Living as a human, we all have experiences that allow us to know what concerns the ancients needed to deal with. Body odor, general cleanliness, laundry, human and animal waste, dishes, cleaning of the home, and garbage disposal. While our knowledge is not exhaustive, we do get help from the archaeological record. For issues of personal cleanliness, laundry, and body odor, ancient Israelites had both religious and social motivation. Socially, it's very human that people wanted to mask unpleasant odors, and thanks to written sources, we know that perfume, incense, and bundles of aromatic spices were commonly used to sweeten the air. Israelites also had the added motivation of the Law of Moses that commanded ritual purity, bodily cleansing, and the laundering of clothes after various bodily functions. If they were inclined to follow the law, we can safely assume that their bodies and clothes met water and a cleaning agent more often than they would have otherwise. In regard to ritual purity, scholars studying the four-room house, a style that is bound to the presence of the Israelites and was the predominant floor plan for Israeli homes throughout the time period of the judges and kings. They have noted that these houses with their central rooms that provide access to all other areas of the house allow not only for greater privacy, but were also ideal for observing the purity laws of the Old Testament. For privacy, a person did not have to travel through other rooms of the house to reach their destination, but could have access to all areas of the home from the central room. The advantages of this arrangement for ritual purity is that members of the household experiencing temporary ritual impurity could move around the house without coming into direct contact with others, and also be able to keep up with their daily routines. This is in contrast to other societies whose ritual purity laws forced unclean members to live in temporary shelters away from the main home. While general waste disposal likely varied from city to city, several ancient toilet seats have been discovered. In the city of Jerusalem, two of these seats were found still in their ancient place, each over a cesspit. When archaeologists examined the remains of the cesspits, they revealed what a difficult situation ancient Jerusalem must have been in during the days leading up to the Babylonian destruction. And for our interest today, they revealed that liming agents were dumped into the cesspits to facilitate breakdown and sanitation of these ancient latrines. 
it is believed that these types of accommodations were probably reserved for the upper classes of society. It's really interesting how, you know, the very houses, it appears that the very houses, the structures that the Israelites chose to, to build, how they organized their lives physically was meant to facilitate this honoring of God and honoring of life through the way they dealt with personal hygiene and things like blood. I mean, very early on in Genesis, blood is linked with life. It's a very foundational element. So whenever there's blood, they wanted to honor God by honoring life, by honoring blood and making sure that they, uh, you know, created rituals around that or rituals were really created for them around that. And by following that, they honored God. It's a really interesting uh, thing to sit with and ponder on. It is. And when you think about the Red Cross today and all of the things related to blood, you begin to understand that we still think it's important. Well, it is important. It is important. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, the, it's, it's amazing because it says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's a reference in the scriptures. Uh, Hebrews, of course, and Leviticus. Uh, and, and this is amazing because the book of Hebrews captures this Jewish imagery and puts it in a New Testament setting. Mm -hmm. So when we get to the New Testament, that's going to be fun to discuss that again later in the year. But uh, it's really something. Janice? Well, and, and I think to your point, Corey, uh, we need to be careful as we're reading some of these things that we that we take it in the right way, mm -hmm. that we take it in the right context. Because quickly, in, in just a, a quick read through here, you might mistaken that that somehow childbirth in it, in of itself <laughs> right, is right. an impurity, or or that the woman has done something wrong, or yeah, that some sort of sin, some sort of sin, and that and that and, and then oh, oh well, if it's for a male child, it's for this long, but if it's for a female child, it's for this long, and how come? And and you can get yourself in a knot over things that. It's not speaking here. Yes. Right? And, and it, like with the whole male female thing, it makes sense because uh, uh, the, the female child is expected to have children. So the double time is probably honoring that the, the life giving blood twice yes. as opposed to just once for a male child. So it's not. We, you have to kind of take away our cultural presuppositions and try to figure out what it originally meant to that culture. And that's the thing. That's yeah. the, because a lot of people just take and the, I don't understand this and this is terrible and how yeah. could a God, you know? And so that's why we need to slow down and we need to ask help when we're reading through and ask the Lord as we're reading through these scriptures, help us to know what this means. And, and I love this, this section here. Um, you know, the, the mother is required to bring a, a lamb uh, of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove. This is so that she can be cleansed of her impurity, which is the blood and the fluids that are shed during childbirth. This is just what's happening. And to, to bring honor and mm -hmm. to restore, right? This is about restoration. So now imagine this. It says, then the priest shall offer it before the Lord to make atonement for her. And she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. And if she's not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and, and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her. There was concession made for those who were not able to bring this requirement. There was concession made. Now imagine forward in time, Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
and Joseph bringing uh, Jesus. And she has to do this same ritual. And she comes and she offers that. And you can read that for yourself. Again, it's Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. And she also hears a man named Simeon. They hear Simeon takes the child Jesus in his arms and he says, Lord, he's praying, he's talking to God. Lord, you are not letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He's talking about the baby Jesus, Emmanuel, that God has given. And it says, and Joseph and his mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And then we read what, what I read earlier, this flow of blood. Imagine now, Mary is making an offering because of her impurities, of her flow of blood, and her discharge of, of bodily fluids, and her son Jesus, God's son, Emmanuel, gives himself, will be giving himself as a sacrifice willingly on the cross where his blood will flow. His blood will bring that cleansing, that atonement. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. Now Jesus is our high priest who paid the cost once and for all. He made atonement for all of us. It's Jesus who now makes us clean from our impurities. These are just some of the foreshadowing examples of what Jesus has done for us in giving his life on the cross, shedding of his blood to forgive us of our sins that makes us clean. Remember, oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. Earlier in the program, I said Jesus is waiting for you. You might be ready to receive him right now. You simply say, Lord, pray this prayer. Say it after me out loud. Say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you came, died on the cross, and rose again. I give you my life today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be my Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask this. Amen. 